Welcome to the Gingsberg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsberg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsberg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. Hey everyone. Good morning. Thanks for coming out and being part of this winter day. Great to have our contemporary worship leader Emily back from Texas with us today. And it's good to see each and every one of you. Yeah. Welcome to those worshiping online. My name is Pastor Dennis and we're in week number 3 of a current teaching series entitled Modern Love where we're looking at God honoring relationships for the 21st century. Now, Two weeks ago, we dived right in and we shared a word about Christian dating, how to meet someone that perhaps could last a lifetime and does God have anything to say about that and what should we be looking for in a partner? And then last week we looked at the topic of marriage that lasts a lifetime and we looked at the importance of treasuring our spouse and honoring our spouse right this week we're going to look at raising kids God's way and i want to take you to a story in the bible from the old testament book of second samuel this story runs around from chapters 13 to 19 it's a portion out of the life of king david and his relationship with his son Absalom. Now, this message is for fathers and sons, but it's also for moms. It's a message for parents, it's a message for grandparents, it's a message for great-grandparents and aunts and uncles and really all of us as it's our responsibility as faith followers of the Lord Jesus to raise our kids up in the Lord. And so I pray that there's a message for each of us and what I always like to say on any topic is be a good doctor of your own soul and apply the relevant word the word that speaks to you in your season to your life as we learn these truths of life now we look at David he was a remarkable leader i don't think anyone would argue with that and on many fronts greatest leader of biblical history of course outside of Jesus and he he was a master at all these things I mean, he's a great military leader he was great um, bringing the country back into economic stability he brought the arts to Israel he was great at foreign affairs he was a great builder he was great at construction and he was a man after God's own heart his greatest asset he was a great spiritual leader in the nation and yet all these things are true at the same time he was a failure as a father he really struggled there guys and so there's some lessons that we can learn how could a brilliant leader leading on so many different fronts struggle at home well we will see today in our story. In fact, because he failed to provide strong godly leadership to his son Absalom, Absalom spent his life in resentment and rage towards 
his father. And it's a bit all ironic because one of the very truths of the Scripture is that fathers are to care for their children. In fact, later on, the Apostle Paul writing to Christians in Ephesus gives us this classic line that some of us have heard over and over if we've been part of a faith fellowship. It's from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and he writes this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. There's that word anger, that word rage that Absalom had. By the way you treat them, rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, the question, therefore, begs to be asked that I've already raised, well, how could that have happened with David? I mean, he was a man after God's own heart. He, he led the nation spiritually. In a sense, he, he pastored the nation, so to speak, and yet he was feeling at home. I think one thing has to do with, and underline this word, abandonment, abandonment. Let me be quick to clarify when I'm talking about abandonment. I'm, I'm not talking about leaving babies on doorsteps. I'm not talking about just disappearing and showing up in Mexico and never coming around. I'm talking about perhaps even being geographically present but emotionally distant. Because the truth is many fathers are there in the home but they're really not there. They're really not close at all. They're bystanders of what's going on in their child's life. They're on hand, but not on board what's really happening. And we get from the picture when we read 2 Samuel about David's life that Absalom didn't even make his top 10 list. For those still learning the Bible, you've probably heard of David, right? Unless you're brand new to this whole thing, but how many have even heard of Absalom? I mean, he's not at the forefront, and yet this was the heir to the throne. This was his son, and yet he was so busy doing all these other things. And this comes to a climax in chapter 13, where we see the tragedy that happens in the fact that Absalom's beloved sister, Tamor, was raped by Absalom's brother. Absalom was crushed. He was wounded. He was raged. And then his father, when he found out, didn't really do anything. Oh, David expressed some anger upon hearing the news, but then he just didn't really act upon the violent act. And this just boiled the blood of Absalom. How could he not? And so he decided that he was going, even though he did not have the legal authority of the land, that was his father, he was going to take things into his own hands with his brother. And he took his life, his friends took his life, and then he ran away. He distanced himself. He left Jerusalem. He longed all this time though that somehow his relationship with his dad would be restored, that somehow dad would step in and save the day, that somehow dad would understand and bring justice and reconciliation to it all, but he didn't, and he waited, and he waited, and for three years he, he lived apart, waiting, and I'm sure every day that rage just continued to build and that resentment over and over again. Finally, we reread in 
2 Samuel, that one of David's close companions or advisors decided to approach this subject that his son, the heir, was not there and the, the, the relationship was strained. And so he, he, did, he did, in a sense, a trick to, to communicate the message. But then the message was delivered. Here, your son is, is away. You need to bring him home. And so it's a long story, but they decide to bring him home to Jerusalem. And when Absalom heard about this, I mean, he's, he's thrilled. Finally, perhaps he's going to have a relationship with his dad. Finally, perhaps we're going to get things right. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he's crushed once again when he finds out that his father will not see his face, that his father will not allow him to move back into the palace, that they've provided private quarters in Jerusalem for him to live. And he's to wait until his dad is ready to see him. Can you imagine once again the feeling of abandonment and rejection? And he waited and waited and waited. How long do you think he waited? Now, it's already been three years. 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 28 says he waited for two more years. I'm sure every day that resentment is just just building. It's like crockpot anger where it explodes after a long time, where it just boils and boils and boils and simmers and simmers and simmers. Finally, because David didn't contact him, Absalom went to David's appointment secretary, Joab, and said, I want to see my dad. But Joab wouldn't answer, wouldn't grant his request. He ignored him, as far as we know. And so, because of that, Absalom decided, I've got to get somebody's attention. He got his friends together and he said, we're going to burn down the appointment secretary's fields. We're going to ruin his crop. We're going to ruin his harvest. And maybe then we can get his attention. That's what they did. They destroyed the harvest. They destroyed the fields. And when the fields were burning, then Joab ran to Absalom. What are you doing? What's up? He says, I want to see my dad. And that prompted him finally to get an appointment with his dad. Now, how many years has it been? It's been five years. Every day, simmering, boiling. And it was really too late. He waited too long. The relationship was scarred the rest of Absalom's life. And some of you know the story of Absalom. He, he died tragically. They were at war, in a sense, with one another, father and son, until finally Absalom lost his life in this, in this tragedy. It, it is a hard story. It's a story that not too many have heard on a regular basis. We haven't preached it here for a long time, but there's a message for us about abandonment and hurt, and disillusionment, and anger. The stage was set in Absalom's life for heartache that continued between father and son. I know that I'm speaking to a large group. I know that I'm speaking to a large online group, a worldwide group, and I know that there are people under the sound of my voice just because of the numbers that we have that you're estranged from your fathers or your mothers as well. And so you know the pain of that. I'm going to speak to dads real quick. I want to stop for a moment. And dads, I want to speak to you man to man about this phantom fathering thing, because that's what it is. Phantom fathering. Dad, if you bring a son or daughter 
into the world. You've made that decision. You've got to be involved in their life. Child development experts tell us that the window of development that has the biggest impact is between birth and 10 years old. And what happens between those 10 years can shape a child's life for blessing or for struggle. You have an opportunity, moms and dads, to shape and to mold. And that time goes by really quick. And that's why even through the scriptures, always this reminder about the importance of time, that time is like a vapor. Life is like a vapor. Another scripture, redeem the time for the days are evil. Now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Now, one of the things that our family ministry has done around here, we try to give practical tools in order to help parents, to help all of us together because we live in a community. It takes a church to raise a child. So one practical thing that we've done for several years here, we have these things called legacy marbles. Have you heard of them? Well, if you've been around this place, you've heard of them. Pastor Fitz has talked about them. They've used them in the family ministry. If... If you're not sure, contact Pastor Fitz, contact Jaden or, or Keith. They'll, they'll tell you about how you can even pick one of these up. But basically what they are, it's just, it's just a tool. It's just something you can use as a reminder. It's a container of 936 marbles. Why 936? Well, basically that's about the number of days, or I'm sorry, the number of weeks in a child's life from birth until they graduate from high school. So the idea is, as far as I understand it, is that each week you make a conscious effort to take one of those marbles out of one container and put it in another, and you just watch how quickly those containers change. You can see how long you have. And so what it does is it prompts you to ask the first order questions of life, like am I really prioritizing uh, my relationship with my daughter or son? There's a QR code that you can scan if you wanna learn more about that. But am I really investing? Am I taking the time? Am I pouring into my child what I want them to take long after they're on their own for the rest of their lives. So we want to encourage you if that's a, something that you can use, but whether you use the legacy marbles or not, that you'll actually begin to think through ways in which that you are pouring yourself out consciously into another. And I'm going to give you two practical things that you can do. There are so many things, but here at this church, we, we try to put feet to the gospel and we try to say, what are the take-homes for not just parents in the room, but for all of us when we have influence over children? And let me give you at least two today. And number one is open communication lines early. Open communication line, meaning create an environment early in a person's life. Now, you may be saying, Pastor Dennis, you don't understand, my kids doesn't talk. Well, I wanna say, yes, they do talk. Yes, they do talk. They may not talk to you, but they talk. They talk to their friends. They'll talk to their roommates in college. They'll talk to those on the dorm. They'll talk to even strangers online 
in discord and in chat. They'll talk to their girlfriend. They'll talk to their boyfriend. They'll talk even if they don't talk to you. Now, I'm not an expert here, but I would think that you would start that communication earlier, and the earlier the better, just by spending quality time. Values are often more caught than taught. You've heard that before. Values are more often caught than taught. When they observe you, just by hanging out. Probably if you go to your teen today and you haven't talked much and say, now we're going to have some quality time together, let's talk, it's probably not going to be that effective, right? But you would do it in many, many different ways. You do it by just hanging out, by playing catch, by playing some hoops outside, maybe going to an event that you're going to. Maybe it's the theater and maybe it's just mom and daughter or mom and son and you're going to the theater. Going to an OSU game. Some of our dads, you know, they just take their daughter or son and then on the way up, you're in an hour in the car. On the way back, you're discussing the game but you're giving life to all of that. And maybe even ask them questions. I think kids value the fact that an adult would ask them their opinion. Now, you've got your opinion, sure, but ask them their opinion. They'll appreciate that, right, young people? That your parent would want to hear. And you can ask them things like, well, what do you think? You know, what, what do you think a good time for a curfew would be? on a Friday night for you going out with your friends. I'm, I'm thinking like 7.30, what, what do you think? You know, something like that. <laughs> or, or maybe, uh, now if you had a daughter, what age do you think she could start dating? Like 23 or what, what, what do you say about that? But, but, but talk to them and allow them and you'll be surprised. They, they may open up over time if they know that there's a relationship. Now some of you are saying, and you, you, you know me uh, and Rachel, we've been married 30 years that we did not have the gift of, of, of birth children, although we've had many children in the church, you may be thinking, well, pastor, what do you know? Well, I've observed you, but more importantly, I have a dad, and my dad poured in my mom, and they poured into me this relationship. Uh, he wasn't the perfect dad. I tried his patience all the time. He made mistakes, but he poured into me so much looking back, and he was an older dad. He was… Uh, in his upper 30s when I was born, that when I was, that when I was married, he was 61 going on 62 years old. He was 62 actually. I asked him to be my best man. Now, why did I do that? I had a lot of friends. <laughs> but why did I ask my dad? Because he was the one who stood by me. I had all my other buddies just marry me. They were all pastors, you see, <laughs> you know. But see, that begins over time. Some of us, we've struggled in the past, but the good news is that we always have a second chance. It begins today, that we leave the past behind. We may have more work to do because of the past, but we can begin today by open communication. Number two, build up their self-esteem with love. I want to encourage you to build praise phrases into their spirit. You ever heard of... John Wooden, basketball coaching legend. Some of you are not old enough to remember him, but Google him. That'll bless you today. John Wooden was known to be able to take teams and to change the DNA of a team, that they would work not as individuals, but as a team. And he, had, he was known, one of the greatest 
coaches ever because he was known to build up people. And so he was asked, how can you motivate these people like that? He says, I catch them doing something right. I catch them doing something right, not wrong. Mark Twain once said, I can live two months on one good compliment. Some of us grew up in environments where the old man or the old woman, you know, used to call them that toxic kind of a way. They would tell us like, you're no good, you're an accident, we didn't want you, you shouldn't have been born. Now, how do you think that did for you? I want to encourage you to do your very best to put praise phrases into a person like, hey, I believe in you, or I'm proud of you. You know, have you ever had someone say that to you? I'm proud of you. That really changes you because you, you want to be better. You, you're proud of me? You know, it motivates us to the fact that, that we may not even want to walk astray because someone believes in us. Or, you know, you're much smarter than I was when I was your age. Or, wow, I think you're something else. Those praise phrases within people. I love the story of a woman who went out to her porch to get her paper. And she noticed a stray dog had come up. And the stray dog had the paper roll in his mouth. And he laid it down on the porch and just sat there. She was so impressed she went and patted the dog on the dog's head and said, good boy, good boy, went and got a treat and gave it to the dog. The dog just wagged his tail. The next morning, she went out to get her paper. The same dog came back with seven papers. <laughs> Sometimes we even need to hear, you're a good boy. You're a good girl. I'm proud of you. Now, remember what Dan said about how we see the unconditional love of God even through some of these things. Jesus was at his baptism. Jesus was perfect. Jesus had perfect self-esteem. And yet, when the heavens opened up, what did the voice say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When was the last time that you said to your son or daughter, you are my daughter. I want you to know that I'm pleased with you. Because if you instill that kind of positivity, which is truth, God's truth, in a person's spirit, here's what happens when you have to correct that person, which you will, which they're going to blow it, as we've blown it personally. When you have to bring a hard word, because you've instilled over and over within them the fact that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that they are created in the image of God, by birth, but also by creation. When they realize, now listen, that their self-worth is not based upon achievement, it's not based upon a home run or a basket or a letter A on a paper or a battle boy on the back. 
when they realize that their worth is based upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago, when they realize that, yeah, thank you, Jesus, then what happens is this, that when you have to correct them, they know that what you're correcting is their behavior and not them. Now, that all doesn't always happen exactly that way. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that he or she should go. And when he is old, Proverbs, he will not depart from it. This is not a promise. It's a proverb. It's a word of wisdom for us. In general, that when we instill these values and then live them, because values are taught, are caught more than taught, over time, people know. Let me close with one more illustration. It's an old one. I've heard it years and years ago, but I still think it's worth sharing today. So it comes from a woman who was older named Kathy. She was reflecting upon her childhood and she was reflecting upon her parents. And she said when she was about four or five years old, she was playing in a room of the house that was kind of the room that we were not allowed to play in. But I was playing, and I accidentally broke my mother's favorite vase. Big crash. Nearly hit me. I was scared to death because I was almost injured. But more importantly, what would mom say? And mom heard the crash. She came running in, and she saw all the broken pieces of her favorite vase scattered on the floor. And to Kathy's surprise, she said, my mother came over to me and said, are you okay? And pulled her in and held her tight. And Kathy, now older, reflecting back upon the time she was four or five years old when this happened, she said, it was on that day that I knew who the most important possession in the household was. My friends, the most important possession in the household of God is the person, is you. That's why Jesus came for you. Even when he didn't deserve it, he wrapped himself in the robes of humanity and said, I'm coming. I believe in them. Here is unconditional love. Because Jesus gave himself for us that we could become a child of God in Christ through redemption. We have also a model of loving to our kids. But if you've been tracked with us, not just our kids, but in all of our relationships of life. Now, here's the good news as we leave. And I don't want you to forget this. I heard this phrase a long time ago. Write it down in your spirit because you may be thinking, wow, I've blown it. Hear me. God writes straight using crooked lines. I'm going to say it again. God writes straight using crooked lines. That's the gospel for us today. Will you receive it? Do you believe it? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a loving parent 
even when we have failed and fallen short of the glory, your glory, and sin has separated us, you don't give up on us. You come to us and make all things new. And so, Lord, first of all, we give our hearts to you, Jesus, again, not to disbelieve in you, but to follow you. And so, maybe it's for the first time someone here today will say, Lord, I turn from everything I know is wrong. I, I turn in the light of the cross and I give my heart fully to you. Perhaps you're online today. Go ahead and acknowledge that, that today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Help all of us to raise kids in a godly way. Although David failed, we don't have to, Lord. And so we pray that you'll take our hand and lead us into those loving relationships where we pray this and believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingosburg.org.